Well, good morning, Greenwood Presbyterian Church, and good morning, Reese Patrick. We are happy that we are all able to gather together uh, in worship, even online. What a privilege. Someone just commented a few moments ago that if we were living in this crisis just a few years ago, we wouldn't be able to do this online. And so we really are thankful for technology that we can do this. We can still come together and hear God's Word and worship Him in song and in prayer. Martin Luther supposedly once said, Show me what a man sings, and I can tell you what he believes. Show me what a man sings, and I can tell you what he believes. Which is to say, those words of songs that hide their way into our memories and into our hearts, they are the first things to come to our attention. And hopefully we know more than Taylor Swift songs. Uh, hopefully we know more than whoever's songs. Hopefully God's Word is embedded in our hearts because we sing true things. And it's in singing truth that the saints are equipped for life in the real world and the hurt that is inevitably going to come in a fallen world. And so we're doing the series. We're several weeks into a series on the gospel as something worth singing about. And I've been highlighting different hymns and hymn writers. I know this may be overwhelmingly a lot of new songs and new lyrics but I do hope that you're seeing that there's beauty in the truth of the lyrics and that those are words worth remembering. And so if a man or a woman uh, believes what he sings or what she sings, uh, this morning is an example of a hymn that is something worth remembering. The beauty of the gospel for those who are sin-weary, for those who are world-weary, for those who are hurting in a fallen world. And so we're going to continue our series this morning. Uh, our title this morning is Gospel Relief for the Weary Soul and Steel on Prayer and Fatigue in the Christian Life. And our passage that will highlight this truth, or really uh, the truth that this hymn is founded upon, is Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, as well as Psalm 62, which you've already heard. Uh, but we'll hear those again this morning. First, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. These familiar words where Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray together that God would bless our time in His Word and our time in song. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do pray that when we sing, we would sing true things. That You would equip the saints with truth, the truth of the Gospel. 
And before our sermon this morning, Lord, I would pray, knowing that some of us, many of us, are more weary than we know. Some of us have found it hard to be honest and to make known, not just to others, but to you, how weary we truly are. So Lord, would you give us this morning, as a church family, the ability to be honest, to see the beauty of the gospel, and to embrace it. And we ask this and we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago, um, I had a student. So this is the story of my awesome student, I call it. Many years ago, I had a student who was a very capable leader. Uh, They were so capable, they were in charge of multiple things on campus and multiple ministries on campus. And I was very close to this young man And through the course of a semester of getting to know him, anytime I would see him, I would say, how are you doing? And he would say, awesome. And after a few times and a few encounters, I I noticed that he would always say it with his eyes closed and with a half smile on his face. And he said it the same way every time. I'd say, how are you doing? He'd say, awesome. And that was the extent to how he would answer the question. Now, we ask each other this question all the time. How are you doing? And we'll say, doing well, doing fine. The truth is, nobody answers that question very honestly. But after the course of a semester, it occurred to me that every time I asked this guy how he was doing, it was always awesome. And so finally, I thought to myself the cynical man that I am, either this guy is really always awesome, or maybe he is living under a sense since he's a Christian and since he's in ministry of having to always pretend to be doing awesome. And as I thought about that, I eventually concluded that the most pastoral thing I could probably do for him is to let him know, I don't know which of those two things it may be, but if any part of you feels like you're having to pretend to be awesome, I want you to see that the Scriptures are filled with examples of how they are for people who are not doing awesomely. Think of it for yourself, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Psalms, almost in their entirety, are for a wounded, a weary, a broken, a hurting, and a disappointed people. And so if in our southern culture, in our southern religious culture, if we think that the good Christian is always just doing awesome, Perhaps we've not really seen the message of Scripture and what it says for sin-weary people. Remember the passage that we already heard. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so Jesus says the gospel is for weary people, burdened people, sin-weary people, and world-weary people. My hope this morning is to maybe alleviate 
all of us from a, a false burden, something that's not true, that we're supposed to always be awesome or always pretend that we're awesome as we live out the Christian life to a lost and dying world. My hope is that we'll see that there's a way to minister to them honestly and sincerely. That we do hurt, but that we have found a Redeemer in our hurt who offers Himself fully and freely to us. So, my first point this morning, I have three points. The first is this. They're all simple. I hope they're all clear. The first is this. The reality of fatigue, discouragement, and weariness in the Christian life. We've already heard from Matthew chapter 11 that Jesus prepares us for the truth of weariness in this life. Another way to say it, maybe I would say it to to students in my former ministry, is look, the Christian life is not unicorns and rainbows. It is life in a fallen world that our Scriptures tell us is filled with thorns and thistles. It's filled with suffering and hardship which prove our faith and grow our faith. And so our hardship is not empty. It's not pointless. It is producing something in us. It is growing our faith. It is driving us to the Gospel ourselves. And by the way, if we're always awesome, who needs the Gospel? You see, it's those who are weary, those who need relief, who know they need the Gospel and who can share with others where they have found relief. The Old Testament, the New Testament, the Psalms, the best of our hymns, even Christian literature like Pilgrim's Progress, the second most piece of Christian literature the world has known, prepares us for the reality of suffering and hardship of life working uphill in this fallen world. And yet there's something very cultural, I think, in our southern and Christian culture that just pretends that it's otherwise. The Scriptures prepare us for something very different. Job chapter 2, verses 4-5, through five, uh, this is where uh, Satan seeks to afflict Job. And God has given permission for Job to be afflicted. And Job says, excuse me, Satan says to Job, skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all that he has for his own life, but now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, make him suffer, and he'll surely curse you to your face. You see, Satan would use our suffering and our hardship to make us run away from God. But God says He uses suffering and hardship to actually draw us to God. Because it's when we hurt that we look for a Redeemer and a Savior. The hard question is, are you looking to the Redeemer and the Savior? Or are you looking to false Redeemers and false Saviors and false comforts when you have pain and disappointment and discouragement? or when you have fatigue in the Christian life. It was that great football coach and theologian, Vince Lombardi, who had a great truth here. Uh, I I came across this quote a few years ago, uh, but the quote is this. He says, Fatigue 
makes cowards of us all. Now, the context actually in which I came across this quote uh, was in reading about Clemson football and reading about the hurry-up offense. Uh, the, 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 the entire thought behind a hurry-up offense, and I realize half of you are not interested in this. That's what the Pilgrim's Progress quote in reference was for, was for the other half of you. But the entire purpose of the hurry-up offense, where the offense goes quickly without rest, is to wear the defense out. And Vince Lombardi, legendary football coach of the Green Bay Packers, said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. The strongest defenders, the biggest defenders, you get them tired and they will quit. They won't want to tackle anymore. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. It makes quitters of us. And so it is in the Christian life. When we are fatigued, when we are weary, we will become cowards in our faith. We will become weak in our practice of discipline, our practice of prayer, our evangelism, our caring for others. Fatigue can make cowards and quitters of us all. And Satan knows that. That's why he sought to reach out and to strike Job in his flesh was that maybe he could make him a coward and a quitter in his faith. And if left to ourselves, that would be our outcome. But God the Holy Spirit brings a sweet relief and a comfort through the gospel to those who will look to him, who will come in their weariness, who will come by faith and say, I need help. And that's the question. Will you honestly admit the reality of fatigue, discouragement, and weariness in the Christian life? And then will that fatigue, discouragement, and weariness, will it drive you to the gospel or will it drive you into despair? It's the one who will admit their fatigue and their weariness. The one who will admit their neediness that they can respond by faith to the gospel. Our second point, quite simply, is this. It's the call to pray, to seek mercy, and to endure with hope through the Christian life. That is the call upon every disciple of Jesus Christ. It is a call for endurance. And it's found in prayer and in seeking mercy that we can endure with hope through this fatigue and discouragement and weariness of life. Psalm 62, the passage we heard as our call to worship, says this, Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. And here the psalm writer turns our attention heavenward. That Look, your, your refuge is not in you or in your ability. It's not in trying harder. It's not in figuring things out. It's in finding that God is your refuge, that He is your one 
refuge. You see, there really is only one refuge in this life. And His name is Jesus. And if you're trying to find refuge in your work and your success at work, if you're trying to find that refuge, that strength that you need to make it through a hard time by waiting for a vacation that fulfills your dreams, or if you're trying to find it in food or drink or anything else, those things will never be the refuge for Christians. The Christians have one refuge, and His name is Jesus. Hope and patience are themes of the Christian life. And we need to remember that. Hope and patience. Now, who are those who have hope? Those who have hope are not those who are content in the moment. Those who are content in the moment are not hoping for something better. They're content where they are. And so our sufferings and our difficulties, our trials, our hardships, they force us to look to someone else and to look for another day, a time yet to come where God will make all things right. And hope is a theme in the Christian life. You are to be hoping. I am to be hoping for something more than what we have. And that second theme is patience. And none of us wants to be patient. None of us likes to be told to be patient. No child likes to be told to, to wait. But so much of Scripture is that message of waiting for it with patience. One of our hymns, or actually one of our psalms that we sing, Psalm 130, from the depths of woe, has that refrain that, and we wait for it with patience. Because that is the theme of the Christian life. We are to wait. We are to long for something to come. And perseverance in faith is the call of the Christian life. We are to persevere in our faith. Now, how can we do that? What is at the heart of perseverance? It is prayer. It is asking the Lord to take our sufferings, our disappointments, our hardships, and to either remove them if He is so pleased to, or to use them for our good and to help us to endure. To teach us how to endure, how to persevere through suffering and through hardship. God has given us prayer for that very reason. He knows that we will need to call upon Him. And He offers us and invites us freely to do so. We wait for it with patience. We persevere in our faith. I moved the majority of the things into my office uh, this week. I still have a lot of books to go, but I got the bulk of everything in my office. And a few people found their way into my office this week. And for most of them, their first comments are the same. Their first comments are, Oh, you like turtles. I had about four or five people say to me, so I have this collection, not of real turtles, but of various turtle figures. Uh, that I've acquired through the years. And I do like turtles. Well, why do I like turtles? It's a long story, but the short version of it is this. Perseverance beats zeal every time. And the, the tortoise, you've got to remember, the tortoise beats the hare. 
right? You remember that story. And so for me, the turtle is this picture of an enduring, persevering creature who's equipped by God with a shell he can hide in when he needs to, but he's in no hurry. He knows that the race is not always to the swift of foot, but it is longevity. It is faithfulness. It is perseverance. And so for me, the turtle is a It's become almost a logo, a kind of theme to ministry, a theme to a call to ministry, to have a long obedience in the same direction, as one theologian has said. And so for you, I would say the same. Uh, are, Are you frustrated because things aren't happening fast enough or quick enough according to your schedule? You've got to remember God is calling you to wait for it with patience to persevere by faith, or as Kevin DeYoung has said, to plod along, to persist. I have a quote by Kevin DeYoung that I think is visible for you to see. And I think I've used this, I've shared it with you before, and this won't be the last time. This too is almost a theme, a theme of the Christian life. Listen to what he says. This is from the glory of plodding. He says, what we need in the church, what we need are fewer revolutionaries and a few more plotting visionaries. That's my dream for the church. A multitude of faithful, risk-taking plotters. The best churches are full of gospel-saturated people holding tenaciously to a vision of godly obedience and God's glory, and pursuing that godliness with relentless, often unnoticed, plodding consistency. Until we are content being one of a million nameless, faceless, I add, ordinary church members, and not a big splash rock star, then we aren't ready to be the church. And there's the turtle. An ordinary, slow-moving, faithful, persistent, consistent, unnoticed, plodding servant of God. And we can only be those kinds of people when we pray, when we seek God's mercy, and when we endure with hope through the sufferings of this life. When I share this kind of message with students, when I've shared it in the past with students, I understand that I'm speaking to 18 to 22 year olds who maybe have not yet experienced a lot of disappointment or a lot of suffering. But this morning as I share it with this church family, you are very acquainted with grief. You're very acquainted with hardship and suffering, sad turns in your story of life maybe in the midst of those now, maybe uh, illness and sickness, all kinds of frailty that you've experienced in the Christian life. And the message is the same as what I would share with students. It's just you're more acquainted with it. You're more familiar with it firsthand. For them, for a student, you're preparing them for the future most often. But for you, I share it as those who are in the midst of it those who need gospel relief 
for weary souls, for hardship in life, for the things that you and your family are living through in the midst of COVID-19. All of its uncertainties, all of its financial ramifications. You see, we find our relief in the gospel in God's promise-making, promise-keeping nature. And are we content to just be average Joes, average Christians, living in average towns, part of an average church, but persisting in the faith, trusting the Lord to use our small efforts, to use our frailty for His glory and His good. We don't have to be a big rock star splash presence in this world. God's calling us to endure suffering and pain and hardship well, to grow in Him, to be honest about all that pain and suffering and hardship, and to minister to others honestly through it. It's such a simple message, but I think it's true and I think it's beautiful because I think we are those ordinary plotters that Kevin DeYoung references. That's who we need to aspire to be. Now, where does all this come together in one hymn? Well, this is where we're thankful for Anne Steele. I shared her, her story with you a few weeks ago. Uh, she, I told you, is one of, if not my favorite hymn writers. She's one of them. And she is the first hymn writer of, of significance and prominence. She was born in 1717 in Broughton, Hampshire. And she had this constant barrage of disappointments, of pains, of things that brought fatigue into her life. And I'll share some of those. The first was that when she was three years old, her mother died. Then later in life, when she was 19, she was thrown from a horse and she was injured badly. She suffered chronic pain, nagging pains for the rest of her life. At age 21, she would be hurt emotionally. She was engaged to be married, but in the 1700s, her fiancé drowned while bathing in a river before their wedding. She was heartbroken. She was devastated. For the rest of her life, she would pledge to remain single, somewhat out of sadness of that broken heart, but also probably because of her chronic pain uh, she contracted chronic malaria. She had chronic teeth pain, chronic bone pain, uh, bouts with fever. And the rest of her life would be spent living with her father, who was both a timber salesman and a pastor. And he would build a little room on their house with a fireplace to keep her warm and said this is where she could compose her hymns of praise to God. And she found contentment in serving the Lord in writing poems and hymns of praise. And when you know her story of pain, what I call chronic pain and chronic fatigue in the spiritual life, her hymns come to life. And one of those hymns, the hymn for this week, is titled, Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul. And when you know her pain, the lyrics mean all the more. But, but we're not singing of her pain. When we sing this, we're singing of our pain, our disappointments, our hurts. 
And most importantly, we're singing of the one true gospel that brings relief and hope into into the midst of those pains. And so just a few quick comments on her hymn before we pray and apply it and sing it. Um, Her lyrics refer to these truths. In stanza one, she says, Dear refuge of my weary soul. And I want to just emphasize the honesty of her hymn. She's not pretending anything. She's laying her heart, her life, her disappointments, her fatigue on the table before the Lord in this prayer. And she's inviting us to do the same. And I think rightly so, given the passages of Matthew 11 and Psalm 62. Dear refuge of my weary soul. And then she admits that sometimes her hopes are fainting. She's very honest. She's not doing awesome all the time. She says, sometimes my hope is faint, but on thee I rely. Later in verse 2, she says, sometimes gloomy doubts prevail in my heart. She's honest. She's not pretending to be doing awesome. Sometimes my heart is depressed and I'm sad. Probably when she thinks about that fiancé who drowned in the river. Probably when her teeth are hurting, when her bone is hurting, or her bones are hurting. She is acquainted with grief. And she brings those griefs to the Lord. She makes them fully known and she asks for help. And then in stanza three, she says, Can your sovereign ear, Lord, be deaf to me when I complain? And she answers, No. She says, My heavenly Father hears my prayers. Even though my heart is gloomy, even though pain surrounds me, I know that my heavenly Father hears me. And then in the fourth stanza, she says, the mercy seat is always open. It's always open to God's children. But I must wait, she says. She understands the call to patience. I must wait and be humble and retreat only to thee. Not trying to find comforts and other things in this life, but knowing that the gospel is the one true relief for the weary soul. All of this maybe finds... Uh, one, one more truth in Scripture in John chapter 16, verse 33. These are words of Jesus to His disciples where He says this. I love this passage. Jesus says to His disciples, I have told you these things so that in Me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. For I have overcome the world. And there, Jesus prepares us for what is honestly coming. In this world, you're going to have trouble. In this world, people will fall off of horses. Fiancés will drown. You will have chronic pain. But I've overcome those things. I will be your sweet relief, as Ann Steele puts it. I will be your hope. You can put your rest, your trust and your confidence in me. That is the true gospel. That is the honest gospel. And that is surely the gospel that Greenwood needs to hear. That's the gospel that you and your families need to hear. Not that you won't have pain, but that when you do, there will be a sweet relief where Jesus offers Himself in His words and His promises that He will be there and He will see His promises through. 
My challenge to all of us, whether it's as a large group of a church family, whether it's our youth group, whether it's your small group, your prayer groups, whatever groups you're in, that we would be honest with one another. Not ever pretending to be awesome, but saying the Lord is helping me in the midst of my hurt, my pain, my disappointment. Don't know what He's doing exactly, but I know it's for my good. And I continue to trust Him as being the one relief that my soul truly needs. Let's pray that we would be that honest of a people about the true gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You, first, that You're not calling us to pretend that anything's not true or that it is true. Lord, You're telling us and calling us to live in the truth of the Gospel. That there's no need to pretend anything. And so, Lord, thank You for that freedom to be honest. Thank You for the honesty of Scripture that prepares us for hardship in this life. And thank you most of all for the sweet relief of the gospel. What Ann Steele models, what Scripture prepares us for, and for the Holy Spirit who Himself meets us in our pain, in our confusion, in our disappointment in this life. Lord, would you even take these words now as we sing them as a prayer, and would you comfort those, whether they're in physical pain, emotional pain, living in sadness or sorrow. And Lord, would You draw our attention to the One who brings relief. And we ask this and we pray it for one another. In Jesus' name, Amen.